The Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome one and all to The Paranet Podcast, the only podcast with strength. Uh, I am your presenter, Patrick Lund, and with me I have... Rob Davis. Superb. Fellow presenter, of course. Um, today we have uh, a bit of a, a mixed bag of an episode. We've got a, a couple of different things we want to talk about. Uh, we're going to be para-networking uh, with uh, a little discussion around Dresden Files spin-offs and what could a Dresden Files spin-off look like, be what form it could take, who could be in it, all that good stuff. Uh, we're also going to be talking about Hair of the Dog, uh, the Dresden Files TV series, uh, very, very loose adaptation of the events of Full Moon, uh, the book that we finished in last week's episode. And finally, we will be covering B is for Bigfoot, uh, a truly delightful uh, Dresden Files mini story, short story set in between full moon and grave grave peril yeah grave peril grave peril <laughs> grave peril that's the next one i don't know why I, I i thought it was blood rights but that's later um anyway anyway uh <laughs> um so uh, lots of great stuff uh, for us to get into lots of great stuff uh to we'd love to hear your guys thoughts on uh, thoughts, feelings, emotions, anything, just throw them at us. Um, but first of all, uh, we will dive into para-networking. And as we said last week, uh, we're doing a couple of discussions in para-networking at the moment. Uh, this is partly because we're not recording these live for the next, uh, for last week and this week, uh, as, uh, due to scheduling, uh, issues, um, so we've decided to pick up some topics that we've wanted to talk about for a long, long time instead. Uh, and this week's topic is a, an absolute cracking one. It is uh, if the Dresden Files, uh, either when it ends or before it ends, were to spin off and Jim Butcher was to create another series uh, set within the world of Harry Dresden and the Dresden Files, what would we like that series to be about and any more details that we can give um i was very cruel to rob last week i made him go first so if it's, I am if going it makes you feel any uh, better uh i've already got an answer prepared for this question so dude i was gonna i was gonna give you like i was gonna give you time <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a question I've been thinking of for, like, months, so, yeah. In which case, take it away, bro. <laughs> awesome. Now, you're either going to love it or hate it, and if you love it, great. If you hate it, then fuck you. Um, and this works, in my head, this works, like, really well as either, like, I don't know, alongside novels at the moment as, like, a little comic strip, or later on it could be like a spin-off like 20 years past the end of the series and are you ready pat you ready shoot do it right spin-off yeah yeah maggie and mm -hmm. bonnie mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And okay. I like I like the I like the idea of um mentioned having it as like a little comic strip alongside it, like the main series, which in my head would be like Maggie and Bonnie pretending to solve crimes or like solve cases, but it would be like you know you know what a child's imagination is like. You you could have it be like they're trying to yeah. find the cosmic cube that will solve everything. And it just turns out that they're looking for like a square of lost Lego. I think that would be really cool. And it'd be like, <laughs> I don't know, like, I, I mean, alternatively, like, the other idea I had with that was the, the same kind of idea, but have it as more of a young adult kind of genre, I guess, or more of a children's story. But I, I, I don't know. I know Jim would probably figure out a way of making that work. But I was trying to think of a way to actually make it work alongside the main series. Um, and the alternative is, you know, the main series ends, but then Dresden Files continues as like a sequel series where it's kind of Maggie, an adult Maggie kind of picking up like cases and all that kind of stuff from where Harry left off uh, alongside Bonnie as her intellectual spirit thing which I think is also a nice idea, but you yeah. might be playing it too close to the main series in terms of tone and all that kind of stuff, themes. So I'm thinking the little comic strip idea might be a, a much more enjoyable romp. <laughs> I can... The the idea of like an older Maggie and Bonnie to me feels like a possible continuation of the Dresden Files, if they wanted to go down that route, because she would still be Maggie Dresden. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I really like the idea of like um, like a Calvin and Hobbes style uh, Maggie and Bonnie like comic strip. Because um, I think you, you could... There is room for like a lot of jokes but also a little bit of like seriousness at times because Maggie is a kid that's grown up around trauma mm. uh, and you could play around like around a bit uh, a bit of both with that I think the a, a good writer could really bring out both sides of the character like the fun and the the fragility yeah um, well, I mean awesome. the main reason yeah that- Main reason uh, I wanted to go first with that is because I was afraid that you'd have the exact same idea. <laughs> I, I, yeah, uh, I could see that. Um, <laughs> so, um, I have, I, I've got a few ideas. Um, so my very first one involves a brand new character um, and I would want it to be maybe the most generic person possible like just like someone who has had no contact with the magical world whatsoever being thrown into the never never okay um, and going down like an Alice in Wonderland like style like having to deal with survive and deal with life in the never never yeah um and i almost want it to be like a uh robinson crusoe like they end up 
in like a candy cane forest having to make like a, a house out of various bits of gingerbread that they've managed to salvage from a nearby ginger hamlet uh, or some something crazy like that and and really just a flight of fancy uh, and then have characters like the Lenonchi, Mab, um, Molly uh, all appearing in it and, and this, this character trying to escape. I think you could only you could only really do this as, as either a couple of books or even just one book, uh, but that's that was my first kind of thought. Is that I'd love we've we've had kind of the grounded fantasy of Jim Butcher's world. I want something uh, like Jim Butcher's world at the moment is like grounded fantasy with a couple of characters who are fantastical. I would like to see the flip of that with a grounded character in a world that's fantastical. I guess. Yeah, I'd be up for um, So that's that that was my first immediate thought. Um my my next thought uh is kind of uh like a prequel. This will very much depend on if Justin Dumont if there's more that's done with him. Yeah. But I would like to see like a, a Stranger Things kind of it vibe. With Harry uh, and Elaine, and maybe some other friends that they had that don't get mentioned much, but maybe because they got killed. Yeah. Um, dealing with like small time threats and such, or even when Harry was in his orphanage and like that kind of like uh, famous five, secret seven, kids on bikes. Uh, there is an eldritch horror effect in this town and none of the adults can see it, but we can kind of feel. I'd like um, So I'd be very, very... That that would be very cool. My final choice, and this, this one I think is probably the craziest, I would like a novel set within Billy and George's Dungeons & Dragons game. The, oh... That would also be cool. Uh, where so Dresden is playing a barbarian, Billy and Georgia, and a couple of the other alphas, and maybe even have that. I know that Butters has played, and maybe even have like this is the session that like Michael or uh, Thomas is finally convinced to join them, as well as like the newbie character, um, and and run like an in-game thing, and you could even have it like a Jumanji. Esque feel where like there's something about the game that's been enchanted, or there's, where they're playing their characters. But if you die in the game, you die in real life, um, <laughs> sort of deal. Um, that in some ways that feels a little short story territory, but I think that with Jim's style, um, it, uh, it could very much be expanded out into at least a novel, if not a, a series of different game nights um, uh, that I think would just be really, really fun, lighthearted. Um, but like a, another, it's another opportunity for Jim Butcher to go high fantasy, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'd, I'd be up for it. So uh, yeah. And then I, my, my other thought, and I suppose you could possibly tie this in somehow uh, but is to do something set around Arthurian medieval times, the founding of the White Council, 
uh, Merlin, uh, Morgana Le Fay, uh, dragons being more present, going into that sort of medieval fantasy. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of that that uh, is being brought up in the Dresden Files. Uh, and it'd be interesting to see what Jim wanted to do with that, I guess. Okay. Um, so that's that's all my thoughts. Um, I, okay, I have one last one. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would... I don't really know. This one's probably the most, the, the least thought out because I've just thought of it. But I would also like to see, like, Paranet Incorporated, I guess, kind of thing, where seeing different stories of the Paranet from around the world, seeing, like, what does Africa look like in the Dresden Files universe? Do we have, like, tribal deities and all these, like, uh, strange African myths and legends. What does Asia look like? Uh, like, finally, finally get something with the Jade Court of Vampires. And what what do they do? What do they feed off? I need to know. Um, going up into Russia and like the Baba Yaga and how do like the Russian Paranet deal with an evil sorceress that flies around in a giant pestle and mortar? Um, I, I I would love to see some of that stuff. I guess if Jim doesn't do it, we can always do it as fan fiction. Yeah, I mean we uh, we are seriously talking about Dresden RPGs and and where that could go, and I can see something like that. I w- uh, getting into like the mythologies of Asia, Africa, Russia, uh, Eastern Europe, and even Western Europe uh, could be very very fun. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> um, awesome, yeah. So I think that that pretty much covers it. That the Jim has created a universe that is immense, and I mean, we just gave five ideas there, uh, and I think all of them would be successful novels. To be perfectly honest, um, if Jim wrote them, um. Uh, I I really do think that there is an opportunity there for, for more spin-offs and stuff like that. And I think he's even said that he feels like there's a lot of opportunities for that. Definitely. It's such an expansive world. I'm surprised that we've spent most of it in Chicago anyway, to be honest. Yeah. Like with, to be um... honest... Go ahead. Uh, with the, I think there's, I can't remember if it's all the books with the White Council in, but I know at some point the White Council are like kind of their base of operations is in Edinburgh. And mm-hmm. I know ever, ever since the first time he went to Edinburgh to meet up with them, I was expecting something, you know, just, just have Dresden like walking around Scotland solving another case there. Definitely, definitely. Um, there's a great short story as well with Anastasia Lucio doing like a Wild West Dresden story. Um, where she's, I think it's in briefcases, it's the first story in there. Uh, she's tracking down uh, a warlock 
in the Western expansion in like the uh, late 1800s or mid 1800s. Um, and that just to me opened my eyes to, oh my God, there are so many possibilities in this world. Like who was Jack the Ripper in the world of Dresden Files? I need to know this. <laughs> so many questions. So many questions. Um, superb. Okay, so we're going to get across to um, our Dresden Files TV club um, with uh, our second episode of the series. As we finished Full Moon, uh, we like to just tie up all those little loose ends. Um, and yeah, we've got Hair of the Dog. Uh, so I guess... Um, are you are you okay to summarize this one, Rob? Fuck it, why not? Right. Okay. This is going to be long, so I will try and get through it as quickly as I can. I'll try and hit just the major points, maybe. Um, yeah. So yeah. The episode kicks off with a man running for his life, and you get the kind of um, you hear like growling, and you get like the point of view of you know something stalking him. Um, as the, just as the camera pans out, you see something jump onto the man and, you know, he's like, ah, screaming and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we flick over to Harry Dresden, who is buying some herbs. That's right. Herbs. Um, before getting called by Murphy. And this, this bit is such a weird exchange. And I'm going to mention it now because the summary is so long that by the time we actually get to the bits to discuss, I'll forget. But like, just just the editing here is so bizarre. Like Murphy calls him up and is like, "Hey, you want to see a dead body?" And then then he's at the crime scene. Like, did you know? Yeah, did that. <laughs> I got whiplash from the speed of the transition. Yeah, like, what if he <laughs> didn't? He didn't even answer. Like, he could have been like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> oh. But anyway, um, he ends up at the at the crime scene, and we see that there's a like a body that's been mauled by, you know, may, maybe a wolf. Who knows? But um, either way, the the, the the corpse has had canine teeth removed, and I think there's some of the hair's been taken as well, if I remember right. But uh, the body we see, mm-hmm. woman, and it's not the man who we saw screaming, and there is no male body in sight to be seen. But Murphy does clarify that this is the second body that has been mutilated like this. Um, anyway, they, they go to... They find some blood, which is around where the man was cornered by presumably a wolf. Um, and then we get to interview a character named Heather, who is the roommate, roommate of the woman they found. Um, and she tells them that, the, that on the night she went missing, she was out on a date. Um, at the autopsy, we find out from Murphy that the blood on the statue isn't... It doesn't belong to the woman who we found dead. It belongs to a man, and it's the man that we found from before. But before we go into that... It's... Did, you, um, did, you, did you notice in the autopsy scene that uh, the, the autopsy... I don't know what you call it, the... Um... The, the medical examiner, I guess, was wearing an I Love Polka, uh, polka 
chirp. I did, I did not notice that, no. Yeah, um, his, his t-shirt that he was wearing under his scrub said, I love Polka. And I was like, is this, is this Butters? That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah, that was, just, that was just a cool little side thing. Sorry, keep going. That's fine. Um, we also get the revelation that there is uh, silver in the, like, traces, traces of silver, blah, 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 in the bud, in the blood, in the blood of the woman's body. Um, but we're, we're interrupted when special FBI agent Raskin from Miami arrives to investigate a serial killer who is linked Miami. to Miami. Miami! Who is linked to the death of this woman as well as previous deaths and she's taking over the investigation. What a surprise. Um, anyway, Harry has his own methods of investigating, so he brings Bob to the monument and where the site of the blood is and for those that haven't seen the tv show uh bob in this is slightly different he he he's like a spirit that lives in the skull or i don't know how to describe it um i don't know like i, I, I guess I, yeah he's a bit like a hologram I yeah guess, that projects in the skull yeah, that's probably a good way of putting it. But, um, yeah, so Bob, you, uh, Harry uses Bob to identify the blood, and Bob's spirit form touching the blood can assume the form of the people, you know, that the blood came from, I guess. So he reveals to Dresden what the man looks like, and Dresden, surprising no one, is like, I've never met this person before. And I don't know why he was expecting to have met them before, but whatever. Um, and then he gets a touch of some other blood, like, and that's the blood of the woman who died from tasting silver. And it makes Harry jump back with like fear because <laughs> Bob, for a brief moment, like transforms, I guess, into a werewolf, which is yeah. Which is um, interesting, but I I I know I'm actually we'll get to that in the discussion I guess. Um, okay. And yeah, uh, Bob states that the man was defending himself from a werewolf hunting him, but Harry points out that you know there's silver in the blood. Then the man must have come with silver ready, uh, and you know he took the teeth and the hair. So who's hunting who? I guess. Um, yeah, they do look very like cheesy. Like it makes you wonder who was the <laughs> hunter and who was the hunted. Ah! <laughs> then yeah, CSI. The hunter has become the hunties. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Harry, Harry goes to check up with Murphy and you know to confirm silver and blah blah blah. Uh, he runs into the special agent Raskin, I think her name was, I've already forgotten, and she's like, oh, you're you're a bad person and a con artist. You know, referring to him being a wizard and all that, and is quick to push Harry uh -huh. out of the case. Um, Harry's, you know, Harry being Harry is like, well, I don't have time for this, and he goes to interview Heather instead um, to discuss, you know, matters that she didn't 
disclosed with the police for some reason. Um, and she was meant she mentions that in the club one night, Heather and her friend Mina went to um lost my train of thought there. Heather and Mina went to the club one night and Mina got into a fight in which she was scratched. Um yeah. You know, by another woman in the bar. Um and it was the bar, the same bar where she met the man that she went on a date with. So they go to a they go to the bar, investigate around, um and Dresden uses you know, takes a mirror from the bar and then uses a spell to kind of review whatever state it happened in the bar. Yeah. Like he like turns back the clock or something is what he says. Yeah. But it looks weirdly sexual the way that he like holds her as he does it. Yeah, I know what you mean. It was Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> we, we see who the other woman woman uh we see who the other woman is and it's Agent Baskin Raskin, sorry. I was thinking of Carol Baskin from Tiger King. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um Carol Baskin. That bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that bitch, Carol Baskin. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, at this point, the FBI rock up. They arrest Harry and throw Heather in a car with Agent Raskin, who reveals... I know. I don't know what she said. She's like, she says something semi-intimidating, like, oh, you're not going to get away now. And then she bites her with wolf teeth. Yeah. Um, Harry gets interviewed by the man from the start who was being chased by a werewolf. Um, they find silver powder in his apartment and stuff. And, yeah, they're arresting him for the murders or whatever. Um, sorry, to be more clear about that, they found the silver powder in um, Harry's apartment and they're arresting Harry for the murders. In case that wasn't... Yeah, they, they're like... Yeah. Um, so yeah, in prison, Murphy visits Harry, and Harry asks about Raskin, you know, giving because it's revealed that Raskin had some weird thing going on in like Bosnia or somewhere weird. Uh, she was bitten. Um, yeah, <laughs> and so he tells Murphy mm-hmm. to suspect, you know, Raskin, and I've just had a knock at the door. Uh, okay, that's cool. Uh, keep keep, keep uh, rolling. Yeah, if that's alright, and then just edit this part out. I'll be back in like two seconds. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, Harry uh, is uh, telling Murphy that the only person who could possibly do it is uh, not Carol Baskins, Howard Raskins, uh, that rascally Raskins, uh, no, uh, Agent Raskin. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, the the interesting thing about it is that Harry's saying, well, simply all you have to do is analyse the blood at the crime scene, and you would be able to tell that it is um, it's the it's the agent that uh, it's it's the male agent that's that's there. And Murphy's like, yeah, that blood uh, has gone missing, uh, and Harry's like, oh. Okay, well, that, that's fine. Just go to the crime scene, get yourself some more blood, 
And then you can analyze it, and she's like, "Yes, yeah, someone went to the crime scene and wiped it all down." And ca- and at that point, Harry's like, "Oh, oh no, <laughs> um, not a good situation at all." Uh, so we then uh, switch to Heather, uh, who is hallucinating uh, and dreaming one. about. Cool. Who is hallucinating and dreaming about Mina, who is her. Uh, her friend that had passed away, the woman that we saw dead at the beginning of the episode. Um, it, she realized that she's been held prisoner by Agent Bushnell and uh, Carol Baskins. Uh, and uh, they plan on releasing Heather into the park and then killing her after she turned into a werewolf. Uh, they need to kill Heather as part of a ritual to cure Carol Baskins of being a tiger murderer. Lycanthrope, lycanthrope. Uh, to bring her back, uh, at least so Bushnell says before, Heather uses her werewolf strength to send him flying. Uh, Agent Raskin, uh, meanwhile, goes to the prison uh, to try and kill Harry, uh, only to find him sat silently and the cell door unlocked. It then turns out that the image of Harry is an illusion because wizards are hard to keep down. Uh, Back at Harry's shop, Dresden finds the FBI have torn through the place. Uh, everything is just all over the place. Um, uh, but uh, luckily they completely missed the hidden lab with Bob in it. Um, between Bob and Harry, they confirm that there is a ritual. If you kill nine werewolves of the same bloodline, then you can cure lycanthropy. Don't say where this comes from. I've never heard of this uh, sort of mythology, but there you go. Uh, Heather then arrives at the shop after uh, breaking away from Agent Bushnell and Agent Raskin um, uh, and uh, she tells Harry that she's been bitten. Bob urges Harry to use the silver spikes to kill her immediately uh, but Harry refuses telling Bob he has to get out now. Uh, How dare you tell me to kill this innocent woman even though she's a raving ravenous beast. Uh, Heather starts to turn and lose control uh, and Harry and Heather work desperately to strengthen her control. Harry reveals he knows lycanthropes have managed to control themselves and live with lycanthropy. Never says where that comes from either. No. <laughs> uh, but the special agents arrive before Harry gets the chance to go track them. Only Agent Bushnell is turning now from the scratch uh, Mina gave him as well. So now both of the FBI agents are turning. Uh, but they, they've only done the ritual to free one of them from the curse. Uh, a fight uh, breaks out. Uh, Dresden does his normal Dresdeny blasting stuff, um, uh, but um, eventually he becomes uh, in danger, I guess, by the the werewolves surrounding him. At which point, of course, Heather intervenes. Um, Raskin. Uh, uh, it's fighting uh, with Heather, and then there's there's basically a bit of a mix-up, and it ends up with Raskin and Bushnell fighting one another, and Raskin killing Bushnell, unable to uh, discern much while in their lycanthropic state. In the end, uh, Harry and Murphy uh, meet up. Turns out that uh, Bushnell is dead. Uh, Raskin... Uh, is being under arrest, uh, however, is currently in a mental health facility, 
Uh, Harry is no longer on the most wanted list, which is always a good thing. Um, we end the episode on a scene where Harry gives Heather an elixir that she can use to control her lycanthropy, and she leaves town to go it alone and show she can live without Harry's intervention. Uh, it's uh, quite a touching scene, I suppose. And then there's a moment where it... So this is the bit that, that got me right. Right in the very first section of the episode, Harry is talking to the herb lady. Yeah. And they're talking about this oil that Harry wanted to buy. And the herb lady's like, oh, Mr. Dresden has a girlfriend kind of thing. That was a terrible accent, and I do apologize to everyone. Um, but uh, Mr. Dresden has a girlfriend kind of thing. Uh, and uh, Harry looks kind of embarrassed. At the end of this episode, he shares what is a triple X R rated absolute snog with, uh, with uh, Heather. Was that she was not his girlfriend? Uh, so was that just a bit on the side? And I hate to use that term. Um, a little bit confusing. Anyway, that is what we end the episode on. And then there's uh, sorry. Then there is this one last tiny tiny scene where Bob appears and says, "Sounds like she's gonna she's gonna do okay." And Harry's like, "Maybe she will. Maybe she won't. Maybe a few years from now I'll have to hunt her down and kill her." Uh, and then there's like quiet and this like poignant end to the episode yeah so i guess uh what were your your thoughts of this and how do you feel it compared to full moon well i have some personal notes on this which don't directly answer your questions but um top one top one God damn it, Rob. <laughs> i mean i'll answer the questions as well but uh, point number one on there was Murphy did nothing. Like, at the end of the episode, Harry just walks into her office and she's like, oh, you done? <laughs> Guess that handled itself then. That's that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I expected a bit more involvement from her. Like, yeah. Um, my second point is... And I, I guess this kind of goes into the whole uh, just general what we thought of the episode overall is the werewolves themselves. And it's... Eh. I mean, the show came out in 2007, so it's probably filmed early 2007, late 2006. But I feel mm -hmm. their choices for it, like the CGI is obviously shite. But um, I know you compare that to, say the werewolf transformation and the werewolf in being human, the UK version that aired, I think first aired in 2009. And it looks so yeah. much better because I think they relied more on practical effects, which were maybe topped up a bit, brushed up a bit with CGI. And I feel that's the route they should have gone for the werewolves, but still had the werewolf mainly in the shadows so you can see it properly. But I was even thinking like uh, Buffy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like, there is a lot of uh, of monsters there, but and uh, they just go to practical effects on so many mm -hmm. of them, and it works so much better. Yeah, I just feel that would have benefited not the episode, but the werewolf design, especially, especially when I thought it looked really good when. I, Heather was transforming into a werewolf and she had like 
the yellow eyes and like the fangs and stuff. Agreed. I think that was probably the strongest scene visually. Yeah. Um, as for comparison to Full Moon... Oh, and the other thing on my notes was just simply reads, this episode is better than the Stormfront episode. <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly hard, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll get into the why of that in a minute. But comparison to the novel itself, I mean... And it, th- this is kind of why I enjoyed this episode more than the Stormfront one, actually. And it's that it takes okay. ele- it takes elements of the novel, but because it's not a strict adaptation, and nor is it trying to be, it it feels like it can stand mm. well enough on its own. Yeah, I can see like this. I mean, obviously, like the whole lycanthropy thing. Oh, you, you need to kill eight or nine people from its bloodline to cure yourself is bollocks. Um, they should have just stuck with the weird wolf belt thing. But, uh, no, like, the, the, the bits that are clearly influenced from it being, <laughs> I think, the the two wolves, like, the he- not the Heather werewolf, uh, the Asian Raskin werewolf killing the other FBI agent. I know, like, I really liked that. Because they they yeah. show in the scene that Heather's about to lose control and transform, and it really makes it seem like she did leave the room to go join the fight. Yeah, and then she she kills the like slit cuts its throat, and then it turns into like the male agent, and she's like, "Oh no!" And the curse is lifted, but oh no. <laughs> <laughs> That was the bit that really got me, where she's like, yeah, the, the, the curse is lifted, the curse is lifted, and, like, he's just dying. Like, he's, <gasps> he's just gargling on his own blood because he's had his throat slit by a werewolf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, I... Honestly, I... I went into this episode with that kind of feeling of, eh, because the Stormfront episode, I enjoyed it, but it it wasn't great, and yeah, I know. Like I I really enjoyed this episode. To be honest, like, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought, and I don't know if that's because I lowered my expectations so much. But <laughs> I mean, like I, I, I could certainly like, see that being the case. Yeah, but I mean, like I say, I think it it takes enough from Full Moon and makes it its own in such a way that it's able to stand by itself, and I think that's his biggest strength. Yes, I would agree with that. And that's why it works. Whereas the Stormfront episode may as well have just been a very abridged version of Stormfront. Yeah. So, Uh, I mean, that didn't really answer the comparison question that much, but, I mean, it shows what I thought of it, and I quite enjoyed it, and I don't know about you, but I've I've not watched all of the Dresden Files TV show. I've watched episodes one and two, and then was like, I'm not continuing with this. Um, and obviously, I watched the Stormfront episode for the show. But yeah. no, I was quite, I was pleasantly surprised by this. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, I I have not watched the entire series. I've only watched the two that we've watched for the show so far. Um, 
and I think we're probably going to watch more as we go as we go on. Uh, although there aren't any that are directly related to the books as much, to my knowledge at least, and that might not be the case. Um, anyway, yeah, um, I think comparing it to Full Moon, um, I can understand why they couldn't do Full Moon because yeah. it would have been a lot of effects and it was possibly too complex to put into an hour story, even with their insane speed of cuts and cross cuts and weird direction. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, this direction and weird editing, apart from Murphy being like, you want to see a dead body at the beginning. Like I didn't find it anywhere yeah. near as bad in this episode. No Stormfront, It was dialed up to 11. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I I really struggled to get through Stormfront for that yeah, exact same. reason. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I get why they couldn't adapt Full Moon and also the amount of effects that they would have needed, especially with the quarter effects not being peak, I guess is the nicest way to put it. Um, I, I, yeah, I get it, I get it. Um, Story-wise, uh, I... I liked a lot of it. I found the character of Heather a bit confusing, mostly because I just couldn't tell if she was meant to be a love interest or not. Yeah, I get that feeling. Um, but the uh, the actual werewolf aspects of it I really enjoyed. Um, also, the FBI had a bit of... They were a bit too evil from the get-go for me. Yeah, they were quite obviously. And not to mention it was revealed quite... <laughs> about five seconds after she was introduced, so. Yeah, it was like, oh, here's, here's a member of the FBI. Also, she is the mastermind of everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, I the, the bit that really stood out to me was that final scene. I know that I'm, I didn't do it justice at all, but that bit where Harry's like, it, yeah, it might work out. It might not. That felt very Dresden Files to me. Like the the idea that things are both that there is hope, but there is also a lot of darkness in the world, and that that it is very classic Jim Butcher, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Um, I think that pretty much covers everything that we could really say on that. Um, oh, one last thing. I really liked the gag where uh, Harry summoned Bob and then moved away with the skull and Bob was pulled. Yeah, that was um, pretty. I just thought that was that was quite funny. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's Hair of the Dog. Um, I don't think there's much more that we could possibly say about it, uh, but we'd love to hear what you guys think. You can watch it on uh, Amazon Prime Video if you've got Amazon Prime. Uh, I think uh, there's various other ways that you can watch it floating around the internet. Just um, other, it, it, The Dresden Files TV series is on a couple of services. Um, okay, cool. So uh, we also have uh, a short story uh, just to go through, um, and this is... Uh, B is for Bigfoot, uh, and since you did most of uh, Hair of the Dog, I'll uh, I'll pick up this one, Rob. Yeah, yeah, that's perfectly fine. 
Also worth mentioning, Beers for Bigfoot is set in between uh, Full Moon and Book 3, Grave Peril. Yes, so this is the next step in the Dresden chronology. Um, so, first appeared in the Working for Bigfoot, uh, like, little book um, that was like a, a mini Dresden Files book that contained three stories set across the series. Really, really recommend reading them. Um, they're, they're, they're fantastic. Uh, the entire Working for Bigfoot saga uh, appears in Briefcases, which is a, a collection of short stories. Uh, if you're looking to get a physical copy of these stories, Briefcase is the place to go. Working for Bigfoot, there was only a very, very limited number of them, and I believe that they go for about £300 on Amazon now. Uh, so, yes, um, I know. Uh, look for Briefcases. Um, uh, it also has uh, like an author commentary from Jim Butcher, so you do technically get more content. Um, okay, so uh, Harry is contacted by a client who tells him to meet him out in the woods, quite a far uh, drive away from Chicago, uh, as Chicago is such a metropolitan area. Uh, Harry heads out into the woods uh, and is on guard because he believes that any of his enemies could be luring him out just ready to strike from the bushes. Um, when a 10-foot-tall Sasquatch mountain man, Yeti Bigfoot, turns up uh, and sits by his campfire and is like, I am here to hire you. Uh, <laughs> at which point Harry does his best to stifle a scream uh, and then realises that he has to, uh, as he is the one uh, who has set up a campfire in the woods and he's sharing his fire with the Yeti, uh, Bigfoot, uh, he has to be a host. So he quickly runs to his car, pulls out some Cokes and some Pringles, um, cracks open a can of Coke, because you just got to, um, and shares a Coke with the with uh, the Bigfoot, uh, who reveals himself to have an extremely long name that uh, gets shortened or abbreviated down to River Shoulders. Uh, and River Shoulders explains that he had a son, Irwin, with a human woman called Helena Pounder, and that his son is in trouble uh, and needs Harry's help. Harry talks a little bit about scions, which are the sons of uh, sons or daughters of magical uh uh, beings uh, mating with uh, mortals. Uh, there, actually, across the Dresden Files series, there are a lot of scions. Um, so it, it's uh, cool to get this this uh, idea subject out now. Um, then he heads back into Chicago, saying that he'll take the job. Roller Shoulders also pays him with a large chunk of gold uh, that he has mined himself, saying that. The mountain folk knew where all the best veins of gold were millennia before the uh, the uh, Westerners came to, to England, uh, to America, sorry, came from England to America uh, and the rest of Europe. Um, okay, so uh, Harry visits Helena Pounder, who is this, like, uh, I imagine like a Brienne of Tarth type, like she is a, a formidable, like, big woman. Uh, who um, is like an archaeologist type. She talks to Harry a little bit about uh, River Shoulders. Harry asks if they're married, and she kind of snaps at him, like, why does that even matter? 
um, which kind of shows that it's a bit of a sore spot. But um, the uh, the whole story is quite lovely. She was essentially working out in um, in a, a remote uh, kind of like Arctic area um, in in uh, Canada, somewhere like up near like the Yukon and that area. Uh, and um, she unfortunately got caught in a snowdrift and and fell ill uh, and was alone for some time. And she would have died if not for a uh, a someone leaving out various bits of food. Uh, she wanted to thank them, so she uh, w- waited one night until they left food again and realised that it was River's shoulders, and that was the start of a beautiful relationship. Uh, they are still very much in love and very much continuing to this day. Um, Helena also tells Harry that she has pulled a few contacts, uh, uh, called in a few contacts, pulled a few strings to get Harry a job as a janitor at the school where her son Erwin goes to. Uh, and where he has been returning from, covered in cuts, bruises, scrapes, and various other things, which is extremely hard to do to a son of a Sasquatch. Uh, Harry goes to the school and sees Erwin is being attacked by a pair of twins, who Harry calls the Bully Bros. Uh, Erwin is also being targeted by a coach who seems to have it out for him and gives Erwin detention after school. Uh... Harry decides to go and confront the coach and see what's going on there. As they square off, Harry uses his wizard sight to reveal that the coach is not a coach, but a Svart Elf. Uh, one of the... Uh, they're a bit like dwarves from like Tolkien mythology. They're, they're like earthbenders and creators of things. Anyway, turns out that the twins are also Svart Elves and that... Um, the coach is there as a kind of uh, escort to make sure that uh, no mortals or anyone else fucks with the twins. Uh, and so he is kind of helping the twins getting away with their bullying of Erwin, um, which uh, is, is, yeah, not cool. Um, Harry asks, why is he letting them do this? And he basically says, uh, that their bullying of Erwin is sh- is giving them a chance to sharpen their skills of combat and aggression. Again, not cool. Uh, so, uh, Harry uh, tries to work out if he can intercede. Uh, he can't without declaring war between the White Council and the Svartels. Uh, so then Harry decides that the only thing he can do is be there for Erwin and talk to him. So, uh, it comes around to the end of the school day and Erwin is in detention and Surprise, surprise, the twins uh, have snuck into the detention hall, which is being watched over by the coach and intends to bully Erwin uh, much more severely. Uh, Harry uh, again uses the trick he used in Full Moon of having his staff in a mop bucket uh, and goes to use it. And uh, the coach freezes his staff in the mop bucket uh, with a little bit of ice uh, basically leaving Harry with no choice but to kind of stay out of it. So Harry goes and talks to Erwin. Erwin uh, says that he's a pacifist and that he's incredibly strong and that if he lashed out at these kids, he knows he'd hurt them, so he's just been kind of taking it. Um, to which Harry basically says, the thing is, is that not everyone can take it and you've got the opportunity to show these kids that bullying and and their aggression is wrong and turning treating people like prey is wrong uh and 
with that great power comes great responsibility. Uh, so uh, the kids uh, use, I, I think they say they've got like a fire hose or like a rubber hose yeah. from somewhere. Uh, and they're like trying to like, basically trying to like uh, wrap Erwin up, like strangle him with it. Um, and Erwin basically goes, not today. And uh, summons his Sasquatch strength uh, and just lifts them up, <laughs> uh, and then uh, basically he doesn't he doesn't like hit them. He like puts them in like a hold and is like, "This is not going to happen again. You guys just don't know how to have fun, right? Uh, we will find a way for you guys and me and everyone to have fun in a way that we can all be happy." Uh, which is just incredibly heartwarming and fuzzy and lovely, and, and I love it. Um, and at which point, Erwin uh, and uh, the the kids, uh, well, the kids run out scared. Erwin uh, hands in his lines that he was doing for the coach, uh, and also leaves. And the coach and Harry have a very short discussion, uh, where the coach says that Harry still intervened and that this could still be considered an act of war between Svartalfheim and the White Council, and Harry says he did not intervene, he helped teach a lesson to the two boys, that uh, sometimes caution is needed when choosing a prey, and that the prey that they chose was simply too powerful for them. Uh, and the Svartalf agrees that this is a good lesson, and a lesson that should be learned early, and that Harry is not an enemy of Svartalfheim, but instead a great ally and teacher. And that is where we end our story. Whew. That is a lot. <laughs> yep. uh, so how did you find beers for Bigfoot? Um, well, let me answer your question with another question, Patrick. Have you, okay. have you read this one before? Yes. Interesting. Because uh, you'll be interested to know that... Um, I've only, I only read a couple of short stories from Briefcases and Side Jobs, uh, partly because I bought them both as my um, as my Dresden phase was coming to a, you know, needed to be dialed back a bit. I was like, I need to read something else for a while. Um, that's, that's fair. That's fair. And and then my plan was to start reading them, I think after Skin Game. But then I thought if we're going to be covering them anyway, I might as well just save it for then. So th for me, this is the first yeah. time. First time I've read through Beers for Bigfoot, and okay, I, cool. I enjoyed it. It's it's not what I was expecting, and I mean, with that in mind, I don't know what I expected. So, <laughs> I remember kind of thinking that I was expecting Dresden to have to fight a Bigfoot, and that it was going to be like a maybe like a more of a monstrous enemy. Yeah, that's kind of what I was expecting. Um, I mean, Which we do get kind of in later books. Fair enough. I mean, I know that Bigfoot's mentioned in Skin Game and he pops up in Peace Talks, which, yeah, you know, as you can imagine, left me pretty fucking confused. But um, <laughs> I know with, with what I knew from that, I was expecting a Negoshi to be involved in some capacity. So okay, yeah. But no, I'm I'm kind of glad that wasn't the case, and it was the short story is quite. I know compared to everything else Dresden related that I've read so far, it's quite unconventional in that it's more of a like anti-bullying story. 
I, yeah, but without, I don't know, like, I think even if I'd have read this as a teenager, I, I wouldn't have found it, like, an annoying anti-bullying message. Yeah. I, it seems quite, it's quite wholesome in its own way. I fully agree. Um, I like that the, the message is less that Erwin uh, shouldn't be being bullied because it's not nice to bully people. And mm. it's more the case of if you have the power to teach someone why bullying is wrong, you have a responsibility to use that power. Yeah. I also quite liked... Uh, uh, um, not Erwin. Uh, maybe it is Erwin. The kid that he's meant to be looking after is Erwin, isn't it? It is, yes. Yeah. I, even though it's written down, it just had me confused for a moment. But um, one thing I liked <laughs> was how up until he stands up for himself, he's very naive, I suppose. Like, Harry's you know, telling him, like, oh, you, you don't have to take it, blah, blah, blah. And Owen's like, oh, no, but they're, they're good people. They're just... They just they're, they're just bored <laughs> not bored but like he he's defending them when Harry calls him out on it yeah yeah definitely and I thought that was interesting I I think it's really sweet um I, yeah like there's a lot to love about Irwin um like his love of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, is brought up a few times that that yeah. Irwin's a big Hitchhikers fan, and it turns yeah. out Harry, of course, is also a big Hitchhikers fan, uh, and they make some jokes around it, like calling the coach a Vogon, uh, <laughs> which was very funny. I thought. I liked uh, probably the most obvious joke was, uh, "Oh yeah, I, I've I've read Hitchhikers Guide forty two times." Yes, yeah, I thought that was really funny. Um. Oh, man, there's there's a great bit because the coach is kind of hassling Harry. It's before that. It's before Harry knows that he's a spart elf, and he just thinks that he's a bit of a meathead. Yeah. Um, and he's just like um, Harry's like toying with him with like these these things from hitchhikers, and the coach is like, "I don't know what you're talking about, but uh, knock it off, you like idiot," kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, which I thought was really funny because uh, he's like, oh, do, do you have any Vogons in your family? And, and he's like, I, I don't know what you mean. And, and then uh, Harry's like, it's fine, it's fine. As long as you didn't, as long as you're not into writing poetry, we're all good. Or something like that. And it's like, ha, that's funny. Um, <laughs> so very much enjoy that. Um, yeah. Uh, I found, I was really... Uh, so, so this was a this was written a lot more recently than Full Moon or uh, Stormfront. This was written within the last two or three years, I believe. Um, mm. And I, whew, uh, I enjoyed that the the Svartels were used a bit more. Same. So, uh, it kind of confirmed to me that they are assholes. It it definitely does that. I will I will agree with that. They they do not come away looking nice in this. No. Um, in fact, I think if anything, it shows a much darker side to them. 
because they they definitely they're like practicing prey tactics on children, mm. which you know that's not what good uh, magical or mortal beings do to any child. Agreed. <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah. Uh, so then we've got uh, the characters of. So we talked about Erwin and how he's very endearing. Um, River Shoulders, I also think, is very endearing. Um, he's just like a big dad. I don't know. Yeah. Like, um, I feel like he gives very good hugs, if anything. I mean, being uh, that you'd expect him to give really good hugs. So, yeah, I, I couldn't help but think a little bit of Tenacious D. Yeah, that's what I had in mind. <laughs> uh, is it? Is it? Oh, I can't remember what the what the song's called. Doesn't matter anyway. Um, so yeah, so we had that, and then um, the other character I wanted to touch on really quickly was uh, Helena Pounder, who seemed she was a really I I felt like I got that character really quickly. Like, her motivations, who she was, how she acted. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is, isn't it? It's just a concerned parent more than anything. Yeah, but also with the, um, like, I, I saw, like, her her romantic side with uh, Rilla Shoulders, I, she was obviously a very intelligent woman, but she was also a career woman. Uh, I could tell, like, it, it talks about, like, how she's not traditionally beautiful, but she is, she's got that kind of, like, wholesome, motherly prettiness. Yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, then, obviously, you've got how she reacts when talking about her, her son. Um, and that, I, I just, I, I, I could just concrete visualize how this person was, what they were all about. Um, and I just, we only get like a couple of paragraphs with her at most. Um, and I just thought it was a really good little bit of character work from Jim there. And again, shows how much he's improved from maybe Stormfront and Full Moon. Oh, definitely. That's something that's really good to point out as well. The writing style of it, like you say, What's uh, Grave Peril and Full Moon were written in 2001, 2002, maybe? Whereas this mm-hmm. is more recent. It's, I think, I'm sure, I'm sure the anthology with the men came out in 2015. So in the last five years, around, around the sort of time Skin Game came out, maybe yeah. a bit after, I think. Yeah, so uh, I think it's, it, it's. The, uh, like the the working for Bigfoot book uh, gets called Dresden Files fifteen point five. Okay. So where would that put it? That would put it just before Skin Game. Um. Uh, just before in, in, in between In between Skin Game and Peace Talks. Okay, so it's after Skin Game. So yeah, so it must be. So it is very recent then. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it's so rare, but uh, when I was looking at it online, because I was looking at purchasing it, it it's very expensive. <laughs> yeah, well, 
I mean, that's probably why they've been published in uh, briefcases. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because um, with it being set in between uh, Full Moon and Grey Peril, I was expecting it to be in side jobs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it was written a, a lot later, I think, yeah. like was said. Um, and and I, I guess it shows a lot in Jim's writing. I, I definitely felt like this was written more in the style of later books than oh, the ones that we've been reading. Definitely. Uh, and I, I'm not sure what... There was no one thing that ticked me off that... that uh, made me think that there was just lots of lots of little ways that Dresden was depicted, ways that the the world was depicted that just if anything I think it's because it was just a bit softer. Yeah. It was uh, like the first couple of books were quite visceral and hard going. I, I mean there's no Dresden book that pulls its punches, but um I, I think there are there's a bit more of a gore and, and sex aspect to the first couple. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this was a bit more wholesome. Yeah, I think that that pretty much summarizes it. Um, there's not much more to say about this. Uh, it's the first appearance of the Spartals. Um, we we kind of talked a little bit about that anyway, but yeah, there's it, that's very cool. Uh, and it's good that that they've kind of been cemented in early into the Dresden mythos because they have a lot to do in the later books. Uh, yep. Running right up to peace talks. Um, well worth reading. Uh. Unfortunately, unlike uh, Restoration of Faith, you can't get this one for free. You'd have to get one of the collections. But as we've said, Briefcases is very much worth it. And I think you can get it for a good price. We'll have a link to that in the description. Um, and I think that's everything. Uh, is there anything else you want to add, Rob? Not really. Um, I think we've hit all the uh, major points. I think so, too. Uh, in which case, do you want to take us out? Uh, yeah. As always, review us on iTunes, download us on Spotify, share us with your friends and family, especially if they're Dresden fans. If not, make them Dresden fans. Um, oh, oh, one thing on the reviews. Yes. 100%. If there's anything, whether it's the audio quality, how we do our segments, what we do in our segments, if there's anything that you, you would like to see change, uh, we are constantly looking at the reviews on iTunes, we are looking at our Twitter. We are constantly looking at our Podbean stuff. Our, uh, we don't really get anything from Spotify like that. But uh, if there is an, an ability to send us any message through Spotify, because those, what you can do on Spotify is constantly changing at the moment. Um, anyway, we are constantly looking at these things. We will take on board any and all feedback. Uh, we would have loved to know how to make this a better show for you guys and what you want from us uh, for you. Uh, this is something that we, we're loving doing and we want to know how we can make it the best it can possibly be for you guys yeah completely agree with that all feedback is uh good even if it's bad it's good mm-hmm. but um we're more in favor of good feedback yeah. <laughs> constructive feedback <laughs> um but yeah uh thank you for all your support already it's been it's been a hell of a ride uh and yeah, next next week we'll be uh, diving into book three of the Dresden Files, Grave Peril, and we'll be covering chapters one, two, three, and four.
So, indeed, you've been listening to the Paranet podcast with myself, Rob Davis, and Patrick Learn. And we will see you next week. Crack open a can of Coke. Bye bye. Bye. It's a good